The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Regan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my excellent co-host, Laura Nash. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you. I feel like it's been a while, but I think it's only been two weeks. <laughs> it's, yeah, it felt like a minute, but uh, I think that was also, there was, there, was, there was a couple of big ones in there, and so it, uh, it felt like a long time. And it's been a, it's been a busy time for everybody. A weird, weird few weeks. So glad to have you back on the show. And this week we are talking about a game that was part of the bundle that we talked about for a full episode a little ways back, uh, and that's Signs of the Sojourner. Uh, so Signs of the Sojourner is available on uh, Steam and itch.io and is coming soon to consoles, including Nintendo Switch. Um, uh, but it was, even though it is a brand new game, it was included in the uh, bundle for racial justice and equality on itch that we talked about a little while ago. Uh, and so... You know, obviously, this was on our list to play and do an episode on already, but it bumped up that list because, hey, suddenly we all already have the game. We had been originally waiting on the uh, on the Switch version. So in addition to being part of the bundle, this was already on our radar because it's got so many interesting components. It's got deck building, which we like a lot, but it's also combining that with relationships, communication. Um, it's taking combat away and having it be about agreements and disagreements. It's also got a lot of uh, cool indie um, mechanics and the way it looks and feels and plays. So it's a bit of short game clickbait, um, but it's something that we wanted to play because there's no other game like it. Yeah, not as far as I know. It, it So the whole idea of this game is that, well, maybe we should set up the story before we dive into the mechanics because it mm-hmm. is very mechanically interesting and unique. Um, but obviously this is a really a narrative game. So uh, this is a game that plays out in a sort of visual novel looking style. You know, you're having a lot of conversations. Most of the story is driven by conversations. Um, but you're playing as it seems to be a sort of a post-apocalyptic world full of kind of wastelands of uh, towns separated by uh, broken and damaged roads. And uh, you're playing as a young person we don't get a really good look at the main character except for the fact that they have cat, cat ears. ears for some <laughs> reason. They were the only person in this game that has cat ears that I noticed. He or she looks like their mother and has cat ears. Yes. So your mother uh, recently died uh, and your your mother, you and your mother uh, and your very good friend, uh, uh, whose name is suddenly escaping me. What's the friend's name? Eli? E- yeah, something like that. I'll have to... Elias. Yeah, Elias. Thank you. That's it. Um, you and your friend... Uh, are mourning the the passing of your mother. Uh, you live in a small town called Barstow, Barstow, mm-hmm. and um, uh, uh, your mom uh, was a sort of voyager who would go along on caravans to other towns across the wasteland, bringing goods back to Barstow and then sell them in her shop. And now that she's passed, you and your friend want to sort of honor her and continue her business and uh, keep the shop open. And in order to do that, you're going to need to continue to get goods and bring them back to sell in Barstow. Uh, and furthering that sort of um, that story is the fact that the caravan 
uh, or a caravan that comes consistently through Barstow um, is thinking about a, taking Barstow off of its caravan route, which would be a real sort of death blow to the town. Um, and so you've been told that if you can't keep your stock, your shop stocked and keep the town vibrant, uh, by going out and getting goods and bringing them back you, either with the caravan or on your own, then the caravan is going to start skipping your town and things are going to fall apart. Yeah. And the game is five expeditions, basically five rounds of going around the caravan. And and you can decide to stick with the caravan or not, but basically you have to get around your desert area and back within 50 days or your car breaks down. Um, and each 50-day route will bring you to a lot of different places. You have a lot of freedom in what you do. Um, but there is a consequence if you don't come back with goods, if you don't come back um, in time, if you don't come back you know, ready to restore Barstow. It's this, this nice tension between an exploration game and a, a game about your hometown. Um, and the mechanics are... 100% tied into this story. Yeah. So uh, first off, just that exploration stuff really reminded me a lot of, you know, mechanically, of uh, 80 Days, short game favorite. Mm, yeah. Because, you know, obviously there's, you know, there, you're going on a journey. Unlike 80 Days, you're not just doing one big round of the earth. You are kind of going out exploring and, and looping back each time you could go out. But there is that sort of um, element of like uh, collecting items at each of your stops. Those are very important for coming back and stocking your your store. Um, and the sort of narrative, the the ongoing stories that you kind of see as you travel from place to place, because you're going to be seeing the same people either in the same towns, if you visit this town again, or sometimes the people move from town to town and you encounter them again. So there's all these little micro stories happening as you kind of explore the map and talk to people. Um, but really, the talking to people is the core of this game. And that's where this game is, I think, the most interesting mechanically. Yeah, something that I needed to learn right away because I, I think it was a little misleading. The the deck building conversation game um, that you hear with their little tagline, it's not necessarily like you are playing, you're not playing cards to say like, be a good person or be nice or flatter or like, it's not like a, it's not like you're in acting class 101 and you're learning about verbs. Um, <laughs> it's not that. This is a game where you are trying to manage the flow of a conversation. You're trying to, people will um, say things symbolized by cards and you need to match the symbol on the right side of the card and keep that conversation flow going so you can chain a full conversation. Yeah. It's not necessarily like, you're a creative person, so I need to be logical with you. No, those are two different shapes. They don't match. You just need to keep like on the same wavelength as a person to keep a conversation going. It's all about chaining symbols. It's not about, um, you know, Laura trying to figure out the right tactic. It's, it's, it is a pure deck building than that. Uh, I think that's been a little unclear in some other reviews. Yeah. Um, l let's start by talking a little bit about the specifics of the mechanics here, because Absolutely. the, the, um, the way that these conversations play out, you know, on the surface, it looks like you're just entering into a visual novel style conversation. You know, you, you talk to a person, you can choose who to talk to in each town. Um, you know, usually you'll talk to Elias before you leave town and then you kind of pick up a, a town to go to and you have multiple people you could talk to in each town and you can skip conversations. Um, mm -hmm. When you decide to talk to a person, before 
you uh, before you decide to talk to them, you get a little preview of two symbols that kind of represent their personality. And so the different personality types, the uh, the main sort of modes or these symbols that appear on your cards and also sort of represent different people's, um, uh, you know, uh, personalities are uh, emphatic, deferential, observant is one, uh, or diplomatic, logical, cooperative, or industrial, or excuse me, industrious, creative, curious, or direct, forceful, stubborn, or finally distressed and grieving. And those are different sort of moods or modes that people can be in. When you have a conversation, um, you have a deck of 10 cards. Each card has two symbols on it. And so you might have a card, for example, that has on the left side a circle representing emphatic, deferential, observant. And on the right hand of the card, it might have a triangle representing diplomatic, logical, cooperative. Um, when you uh, when you have these conversations, it's basically a back and forth of each person placing a card in order. So I'll place a card. Uh, the other person will place a card. I'll place another one. They'll place one. And we have to chain our symbols so that when I place, for example, a card that has a triangle on the right-hand side, they have to place next to it a card that starts with a triangle so that the sides of the cards match up. It's it's literally picking up what you're putting down. It's like <laughs> exactly. it, it, it's keeping that conversation. That's what I meant about the conversation flow going. Right. It's like you need to match their mood before you change the subject. Or again, none of this is written in, but like you can see it is changing the subject or changing the mood, but you got to start off where that person is. Right. And what's really interesting about it is that unlike almost any card game thing that I've I've seen, it's mostly about two people. It feels like it's about two people trying to understand each other because there's no winner in this card game. Um, You are constantly having to think about like, okay, do I have a card that I can use to build off of what this other person is, is throwing down for me? But also you have to be thinking about, okay, well, what am I giving them to build off of? Because you have a pretty good idea and uh, of what sorts of cards they have. Um, and you can uh, you can uh, you know use abilities to even see exactly what cards they have, um, but you want to lay down cards that open up options for them rather than closing off options for them. Um, so it really feels it feels uh, collaborative in a way that card games rarely do. You're trying to build something, and in a way that's like what conversations are, right? You're trying to accommodate somebody, or trying to uh, you know collaborate with them, or trying to uh, lead the conversation. In in a direction that you are prepared for. Um, All of this sort of plays into this extremely simple mechanic. And something I really appreciate is there are so many different ways this game has to calibrate the difficulty of a conversation and make it feel thematically appropriate. For example, when you're talking to your mom's best friend and it's the first time you've seen each other after her death, you only have to play two or three cards per round to advance the conversation. You don't have to keep a full chain of five. You can just do three because she's your mom's best friend. You're in a place like it's very easy to keep that conversation going because you guys are in the same place. You don't need that much, you know, pressure or tension to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people, um, you might be entering in someone far away for the first time. Not only do none of your symbols match, but you have to chain five cards because they don't like outsiders. And to make it even harder, um, there's almost like a life counter at the top of um, white yeah, and exactly. black squares. And that's how many uh, you know good conversation pieces you need to advance a story and how many 
strikes you can have before you max out. So you talk to a new person, um, even if you get to five and you get that full chain, you might have to do four of those in a row to advance where you get two strikes and that conversation ends. So they have so many different levers to pull that make it feel more like a conversation and make it feel more like, you know, this person, we speak a different language, all of our symbols are different, but they're really accommodating and nice. So I only have to have three or four cards match and there are seven strikes before I mess up because they're right. a really generous person. Like there's lots of things that you can interpret the personality of the person you're talking to through those you know, levers of how difficult a conversation is. Yeah. And this, this conversation mechanic, um, you know, it is a pretty simple card game as these things go. Um, but, uh, it really sort of gamifies some things that are interesting about the, the way this game wants you to think about its conversations, right? So one is that a big important part of the, uh, of every conversation is that at the end of every conversation, whether it's successful or not, um, you choose a card from your from the person you talk to's deck uh, to add to your own deck, and you choose one of your cards that you already have to give up because you only ever have a ten card deck, which is important because it's a very small deck. Uh, you have ten cards and five cards in your hand, so you're you're shuffling through your small selection of cards usually several times for a conversation. Um, but that idea of like every time you talk to somebody, you're taking a card from them and adding it to your deck. Uh, feels like it's sort of it, it it really kind of uh gamifies this sort of feeling that like as you go out into the world you're leaving your small town where everybody has just circles and triangles right everybody is on the same page everybody talks the same and as you go out into the world you're taking on new cards that expand your vocabulary and your ability to talk to people that are not part of your, you know, insular little community that you're from. Uh, and as you do that, you're kind of expanding your, you know, your world. But it also means that when you come back to Barstow, your deck is harder to use to talk to the people that you know. So like, you know, there were times, particularly after the third um, trip out or so, that I'd get home and I wouldn't be able to get through a conversation with Elias, you know, my theoretical best friend in the world, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, he, the the main character has just picked up so much, uh, so many uh, cards that are direct and forceful or cards that are distressed and grieving that suddenly there's too much of them in my hand and I'm unable to have a, a smooth conversation with, you know, with uh, people who are originally close to me. So that feels like a really good dramatization of this sort of, you can't please everybody. Everybody that you talk to in your life has some effect on you. And, you know, you're, you are a, uh, uh, you know, a collection of your experiences kind of as a, as a game mechanic. And I think that was really, really neat. Yeah. That you don't have a choice whether or not to trade your cards after every conversation. Mm -hmm. They they say, choose a card from your experience to gain and a card from your past to forget. So you're literally replacing parts of your deck. But the metaphor um, that they mention in the materials is your deck is your character. Yeah. So you're picking up things from outside and it will affect how you can relate to literally every single person you talk to in the game. Yeah, I, I really, really like that. I, I love the... Um so the the actual mechanics of this, it layers on new features, new little mechanics that you can use as you go. And um, and mostly they're just ways of adding additional interest. Uh, if you if you get very 
familiar with some of the mechanics, you can fake your way through conversations that you're not really strictly equipped with for with the cards. So for example, um, you know, one of the first ones it teaches you is a mechanic called a chord, uh, which is a lot of the cards have double symbols. So you might have, for example, a, a card with two triangles on it. And if you can string together, like they put down two triangles and then you put down two triangles, then you get an accord, which adds a little sort of wall in the middle of the chain of cards. And that means that you can screw one up. You can put a card down that doesn't match and it will hit against that wall and not destroy the chain. Um, and uh, that became really, really important for me later on in the game, because then if you can get an accord, you know, even if you don't have cards that spin off of what they have to say, if you can get an accord, then you can put down a card that doesn't match on the left side, but maybe does match something on the right side so that you can give them an, uh, you know, a, a point to, to jump off of. And you can keep a chain going even if you have cards that aren't quite right for the, the situation. And there's a few other things that let you do that too, things that encourage your a conversation partner to put down two cards so that you can kind of sneak your way through uh, without having to uh, to put down as many cards and potentially screw something up. Um, so lots of little mechanics like that add on to this, this basic conversation mechanic as you go and starts feeling like a, I mean, it, what really surprised me so much about it was it really did feel like the sort of flow of conversation. Uh, you know, every time you do one of these little, um, you know, strings of cards, some more of the conversation happens and the character will share new information with you, or they may give you an item that you can take back to sell at your, at your store. And so, you know, as you're hopefully stringing these conversations along, um, you get new stuff, new information, new items that it's very important for your story. Yeah. And something I, I think really f- helps with this game, something that made me know it was working is how much I felt um, emotionally connected when I failed mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> because not only it's not like someone will die if you lose a conversation, but you lose out on information about your mother. You lose out on, you know, you don't even know what you miss. It's not like someone at the beginning of the conversation says, I will sell you an apricot if we have a successful conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you don't know what you're missing out on. You don't know what you might be missing out in the future when it it loses it it has that like bit of branching feel to it but you can't see those seams yeah sort Um, of like 80 days it feels like this game has an absolutely massive amount of narrative content that is kind of tucked away where you have to specifically seek it out and probably what that would mean is building a deck around certain characters so i mean yeah it's probably this game feels like it plays fine if you're going into it expected to play through it once and that's it. And, you know, I think doing that is probably going to still be a very good experience. But if you do additional playthroughs of this game, um, you're probably going to find yourself doing things like, okay, I know I want to get in good with the robot people in the upper right corner of the map. And so I'm going to know, I know I'm going to need a deck that has a lot of industrious and direct cards. And so maybe it's not going to matter so much to me that I can't have a good conversation with Elias back home. What I'm going to do is build my deck around maybe pissing off Elias, but but getting in good with the robots in order to explore whatever narrative is happening up there. Um, I, in my playthrough, ended up with a deck that was a little bit too generalist. And that, yeah. that meant that I ended up getting, I think, a bad ending. So um, it was still a very interesting ending and still pretty satisfying. But like, I think that's really interesting about this is like... Uh, it's a bit like things like visual novels where you have like routes, but the routes are very um, 
potentially branching and uh, and sort of webs more than routes because you you can feel like you can tailor your deck and your and your character towards different uh, types of conversations and you'll see different stuff each time. Yeah, not to mention that the longer you're on the road, the more days you spend away from home, you get fatigue cards, which mm, is probably yeah. the most punishing deck building I've I've seen. Not because um, the fatigue cards don't match with anything. And they're basically like two strikes because not only are you causing a strike the first time you play it, but then your partner can't do anything afterwards. So Mm -hmm. it's like every time you play it, it's two strikes. I got home um, after a 50-day trip um, and started a conversation with Elias, and my deck drew five fatigue cards. Yikes. And I was like, great, I'm just going to piss off my best friend. There's nothing I can do because yeah. I'm just so tired I can't think straight. That's what the game is telling me. And sometimes it really hurt too because like, like for example, there's this character that you meet pretty early on in uh, – there's a town that's a bit of an artist colony. And there's this mm-hmm. painter there who's got like terrible self-confidence. And uh, I had had conversation after conversation with him um, because I tended to go through his town – uh, when leaving Barstow. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I I'd had good conversations with him where I built up his self-confidence. I told him his paintings were good. I bought one of them and sold it back at the, at the town. And then I had a final conversation with him. I think it was on my fifth and final expedition. Um, mm-hmm. And the conversation just went bad just at the end. And, you know, and, and it felt really bad to have had this sort of relationship with this character and then get to the very end of his story where he sort of set out on his own. He's gone to a different town to see if he can sell his art elsewhere. And I meet him again. And at the start of the conversation, it seems positive. And I'm saying, yes, you know, great. You're doing great. And then mm-hmm. the my cards just weren't right. And the conversation fell apart. And he, he seemed really hurt. And, um, you know, if this were just a game about choosing narrative choices – Obviously, I would never have chosen to hurt that character's feelings, and it didn't feel great to do it, but it also did sort of feel like, wow, this is a really interesting um, mechanical way to encourage different types of conversation. Like, I don't know, I I thought it was really, it was was a bummer in the moment, and then I was like, well, actually, that's still pretty cool. Yeah, there's no way in this game to win every conversation. Exactly, It is not... Uh, it's not a max min situation. Like there's stuff you're going, like you can either choose not to talk to them or if you do, you might be putting yourself in an odd position. Not to mention that you can talk to people and then you have to take their bad cards into your deck. Mm -hmm. Like they aren't useful anymore. But like you feel like you need to keep talking to them because you're friends with them, but then they give you cards that are not, that are inferior to what's in your deck. So it's an interesting, I, I love it when games ask you to challenge the strategy of like of a game where they say like the narrative you know just like if you were trying to be all you can be maybe you should get rid of someone who's no longer who's holding you back but you feel like you should still talk to them there's very few times that a deck building game can make you feel like have i outgrown this place yeah it's not that's the question you ask yourself you don't say oh am i hurting my deck you say, is my character ready to move on? Yeah. You, you make the leap pretty easily. Yeah, it's, it's such a fascinating, um, like, approach. I, I, you know, I feel like we're, we're also, we're so wrapped up in talking about the, uh, the deck mechanic, which is 
the core of the game and it's very, very interesting. But I also want to make sure we call out some of the other stuff that's really interesting about this game. It's got a beautiful art style and I'm not quite Mm -hmm. sure how to describe it. It seems sort of like marker uh, illustration. Yeah, I think it's like a marker blended with watercolor, but it's really colorful. Like it's got pinks and blues and greens but it's also got like it's set in the desert so like the the lovely yellow like all the colors are really saturated despite it looking like a um a bit of a watercolor fill and it's got to me one of the most interesting things is the the lines that they use to outline things are kind of like pencil sketch or like charcoal or something they've got a real um grainy look to them that matches the font it just makes it feel much more handcrafted than a lot of games with clean lines yeah do. and the character designs are also just absolutely fantastic so um you know the the characters have it has a sort of a um like a modern cartoon art style um, but the mm-hmm. sort of like looks like the uh, the design document version of those, you know, before it's sort of passed through dozens of artists hands. It feels very like uh, like opinionated art style that is full of little quirks, you know, characters with different sized heads, different sized eyes. Uh, you know, some of them have ultra detailed stuff and some of them have no noses. Uh, actually, most of them have no noses. Yeah, um, but it's. It's got so much charm. I, I think something I really appreciate is it feels full of life, even though there's not a ton of animation on those character designs. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of movement and energy, despite the fact that you know, it's not like everybody is moving constantly. Um, I think that I'm really struck by the UI design. They mm. put so much information on the screen um, and you can... You know when you play a game and then you don't play it for two weeks and then you come back and you don't remember what anything is? <laughs> this game includes rollover everywhere. So if yeah. you roll over a card, it will tell you what every symbol means. If you um, you know, look at a calendar, it's got everything marked. Like It really doesn't want you to be lost unless that's what your intention is. Yeah, I played this on my Mac. I was initially going to say that I think this game would work incredibly well on a touchscreen, like on something like a like an iPad. And I still think that's the case, but they need to find a different solution for that because mm-hmm. it does do an incredible job with that sort of mouse over, rollover, uh, you know, pop-ups. And it gives you so much useful information through those. You know, you can mouse over a character that you're thinking about conversing with and see what types of symbols they're likely to have in their deck. You can mouse over a town and see, you know, if there's people there who haven't talked to you yet. Um, you know, it, it, tons of useful information is presented that way. Uh, I, and and it's, it's a la carte, too. It's not like Nintendo where they're yelling. I, I'm playing Luigi's Mansion 3 right now, hmm. too. And and they're keeping like, but you're not doing the main quest. Like, the game is never going to yell at you, but it's going to remind you that you have all these opportunities around you. Yeah. So I, I think visually it's really great, both in the, the actual, like, illustration style and the UI. Really, really nice. And uh, you mentioned it's not super animated. And that's true, but the characters do have, like, poses. You know, it has this mm-hmm. sort of... Um, visual novel style of of like character animation where people do have expressions that they kind of slightly animate between um, which is I think you know all this sort of game really needs because it's mostly focusing on uh, on the actual conversation in the deck um, the music is also really really nice I really like the music
It feels like good traveling music, but it is not an other, like it's not orientalized or like playing, like it's taking on bits of desert music, but it's, it treats it like um, part of the landscape. It, it It's a very, it makes the place feel more real to me. Um, it, it feels, I kept relating it to like Santa Fe, New Mexico area. Yeah. Like, especially with the artist colonies, like it felt very, um, you know, kind of like a mix of that and Petra, oddly. Yeah. Like, the um the 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 composer is Steve Pardo, who goes by Se- uh, Skew Sound, uh, and I don't know if I've seen any other soundtracks by this this person. Um, but it's they did an amazing job, and and the thing that really stood out to me most about it is that uh, it's very uh, acoustic guitar focused, and it has a lot mm. of that sort of like very um you know live recording sound to it where. Uh, I'm, I'm not a musician, so I don't know the proper term for this, but you know, that sound that you get when somebody's playing an acoustic guitar and you get that, that sound of like fingers sliding across the coiled, uh, yeah. you know, a guitar strings and that kind of kind of sound that you get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that mixes a lot into the, into the, the movement of the music. And, um, that kind of made it feel very living, to me, the music sounded extremely like uh, like a like a folksy live performance that fit extremely well with the overall vibe of the game. And I, I've just found the uh, album on Bandcamp, which I was uh, I, I having having trouble finding earlier, but now here it is. And um, I, I'm going to listen to this on its own because it's lovely music. Oh, it's really nice, and it, it feels like you are visiting places a little out of, you know, the further away you go, the the more the music kind of morphs into a slightly different culture, but there's still bits like, it, you seem like you're exploring a region um, with the music, and I, I really liked it. Um, something else that we haven't mentioned, uh, there's a dog in this game. Oh, the dog! And, <laughs> and you can the, dog the dog is, you can, the dog a dog's love is all symbols and the, you can just play with your dog and you can put any card down and the dog will match it with this beautiful rainbow paw print. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's mechanically kind of useful because like once you meet the dog and the dog starts following you around on your trips, um, you get opportunities throughout the game to, you know, instead of having a conversation with people, you can have a conversation with the dog. And uh, those always go really quickly because, like Laura said, like the dog's cards all match with everything that you have. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it, it's just a way of taking a second away from those conversations. And also uh, having a conversation with the dog eliminates one of your um, your stress cards or what were they called? The, the um, fatigue, fatigue cards, cards. Yeah. Um, which is very important as you start taking those longer trips, because generally uh you know, as you travel from place to place on the map, you get these little dots indicating like how long it will take you from one place to the other. So it might take you five days to get from one town to the next, for example. Uh, and you have a calendar that you can track where you're at. And uh, it, I think it's every 10 days on the road, you get one of those fatigue cards. I'm not, I'm not positive. I didn't count it out, but I think it's every 10 days, depending on how, you know, how far you're driving. Um, Mm -hmm. And so as you start accumulating those fatigue cards, like you get five fatigue cards in your deck. And that means that one third of your cards are not only useless to you, but actually, if you if you try to play them, you you will lose. So um, being able to remove those from your deck as you go is extremely important. And also the dog was a very good boy. (laughs) His name is Thunder. I just like the dog. I mean, like it's making 
the player do something to clear a fatigue card and having it be a petting a dog or just hanging out with your dog is so much nicer than like anything else. Like most places would be like, you take a nap. <laughs> Not like as most games would have you take a nap or like mm-hmm. take a healing potion. And this one's like, no, you just chill with your dog for a yeah. bit. Or even just have you like click to chill with a dog, but having it be part of the same card mechanic is just like, I, I thought it was a little bit brilliant. Yeah. Especially since by the time the dog shows up, you are having some hard conversations to get through that are really challenging. And like you are starting to risk things in conversations because if you fail, you don't get information about your mom. You don't find out about the locket. You don't, you two old people won't hook up. It's very Mm. important that they hook up. You know, Um, the the website for the game lists sort of bullet points of things that you can expect to do in signs of the sojourner. And I think I only saw maybe a third of these. I did not see the old people that hook up, (laughs) but it says uh, the play matchmaker. Yeah, yeah, uh, it says you can you can expect to explore curious locales, learn the local lingo, make friends, make enemies, play matchmaker, collect all the snacks find romance, discover ambitions and secrets and hidden pasts and learn from the inf- learn from and influence others. And uh you know, I'm pretty sure I got to do like maybe half of those, but I definitely didn't get to play matchmaker and uh so I'm looking forward to and I didn't find romance either. So I'm hoping to go back in and play uh, another couple of rounds of this. Yeah, I- you can go talk to, um, I'll say that playing matchmaker is in the desert oasis and in the city above the desert oasis. Ah, yeah, um, I found that, but I didn't ever get the road to it. That's something interesting about this is you can find out that a town exists, but somebody has to tell you where the road is to get to it. Once um, you finally, the apricot guy, once you have a good conversation with him after the, um, there's kind of a, a bad event. And after that, if you talk to him, he's like, maybe I should have companionship. I've been writing to an old flame and that tells you the road. So you can then go to the road and talk to her. And it's hard to convince her because she's like, I've lived here a long time. Is it worth it? And you're like, every card I was just like, please, <laughs> I just want to buck up this old lady so that she leaves and hooks up with that man. Um <laughs> I mean, felt weird, but I, but it was super like, that's what I mean. Like the, the things you're risking are not necessarily for yourself. Like it does nothing for my character to have these two people hook up. Mm -hmm. I just really wanted them to. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of little micro stories like that. Like I I had, I had a great fun, like, you know, uh, being robbed by a thief, then tracking down that thief and getting my property back and then later meeting up with that thief and then teaming up and then later bringing that thief from jail. Like there's all sorts of little like micro stories that happen with these characters and they're not all like, you know, most of them do involve you getting some kind of item to bring back to Barstow to sell, but not all of them. And uh, particularly not if they don't go well, you might not get that reward. Um, but they're all interesting little stories that are happening across this wasteland. So I, um, I, I thought I, I'm intrigued enough that I want to go back sort of like 80 days to see more of the narrative map of this game. I don't, I doubt I'll ever like hundred percent it or anything, but I'm definitely interested enough to go back in for more. Yeah. The one critique I've seen people mention of this game is they think that it's too hard to have good conversations. The more the deeper in the game you get, like I think, Uh especially if you've been playing that, like 
generalist approach, like it can get really hard to have successful conversations towards the end of the game. Yeah. It, it makes you make decisions about who you're going to ignore. And that's not how you want to play the first time. Yeah, it really wasn't. Like I, I did have, sort of have that generalist. I had a deck that had at least one of everything in it, you know, trying to prepare myself for every uh, potentiality. And you can only have 10 cards and there are five potential symbols. So that really leaves you with like, you know, you have to have a very carefully curated deck in order to be able to have conversations with even more than like a couple of types of people. Um, so yeah, really tricky. Like I never successfully had a conversation with the robots, even though I was, you know, at, at one point I, I like was like, okay, I'm going to build up my, uh, my, you know, blue diamonds and, and purple squares and try to go up there. And, mm-hmm. uh, it never really quite worked out because they're, they require a very specific deck. They only, only have these two types of symbols. And so you really have to be prepared. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say like, if you're going back for a second round of this, you kind of have to know in advance, like I want to advance the story with these characters in this area of the map and I'm going to build around it and not really care if maybe I offend other people along the way. To me, it reminded me a little bit of a dating game where the first time you play the game, if you try to kind of woo everyone a little bit, you're not going to land a honey, but you'll know (laughs) who you want to go after round two. That's kind of what this felt like in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we mentioned at the top, but just in case you, uh, this was Signs of the Sojourner. It was, it's available on itch.io and Steam for Mac and PC. Uh, And maybe Linux, I didn't check that one. And also it's uh, coming soon to consoles or at the very least to the Nintendo Switch. Um, I would be surprised if this doesn't hit other platforms too once it's out there on Switch. Switch will probably be a great place for it because uh, it does uh, seem like it would work well with a touchscreen. The simple card mechanic is probably really nice on one of those. So if you prefer that platform, go for that. But hey, if you bought that bundle, you already own this game. Boot it up. Yeah, and it's it's, uh, Echo Dog Games. They say like a session like a good stopping point would be like like 30 minute sessions, but mm-hmm. probably I think how long to beat is wrong on this one. They say it's about two to three hours. I think it's probably closer to four to five. Yeah, it was for me, but I could see maybe doing three hours for a additional playthrough. So like if I was yes, going after you've gone in, through it once. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of know what I'm doing a little more then I, I could definitely see this being like three hours for a for like an additional playthrough, but expect like five for your sort of main first playthrough. And uh, on all of those platforms, this is a $20 game and I think very much worth it. Uh, But also, Mm -hmm. what a bargain with that bundle if you already have it. I felt nice about that. Um, Yes. So uh, let's do what's making us happy this week. Um, Laura, do you want to go first? What's making you happy this week? So I had a day off work yesterday and I spent it um, with Comfort Food, which is – basically Jane Austen adaptations. <laughs> I, I watched a little bit of the Pride and Prejudice 1995 miniseries, but what really I, I got excited about was watching the new Emma that came out in January, February, or March. Well, came out when movie theaters were closed. Mm. Um, and I watched the new Emma on my projector. And let me tell you, that production design and costume design is insane. Like, it's a much, if you are a Jane Austen fan or not, this is a not a subtle Emma. It is very funny, and everyone is dressed exactly like the character should be, and it is very physical and very, very brightly colored. It's just, if someone is a uh, pres- 
pretentious character, they are wearing the most pretentious outfit you can imagine. Hmm. If someone is a rich character, they are wearing all of the thrills. It is just designed to an inch of its life, and I loved it. I think it's it's a debut for the director, um, Autumn someone. Uh, sorry for not remembering your name, but she did, she was a photographer who did like the King is Dead art book for the Decemberists and huh. music videos, and this is her first um, – piece i think people were really surprised that like a visual artist decided to do emma for her first one but once you see it uh it makes a hundred percent sense because the acting is good but really it's the like the visuals make the story so much better and i don't think i've seen someone enhance jane austen with visuals quite like this so highly recommend if you like um people doing new stuff with old stories or that sounds really great. Um, what's been making me happy this week, I haven't watched a lot of TV or, or movies or anything, but I have been reading through the source book for a tabletop RPG. And uh, fortunately, this is also one that came in that big bundle, the itch.io bundle. There's a ton of great tabletop RPG content in there. And we mentioned this briefly on the show, but now I've really dived into it. So I've been reading the, the source book for Blades in the Dark. Um, Blades in the Dark is a tabletop RPG, uh, sort of in you know in the Dungeons and Dragons um, you know uh, tradition, but very specifically tailored for a different type of setting and uh, and gameplay. Um, so uh, you know, in terms of its world, it's set in a kind of a dark fantasy. I think an easy touch point for video game people would be it's it's designed to be kind of like um, the Dishonored series. Um, mm. It's uh, it's a uh, it's a, a dark fantasy world where there is no sun. It's always night. And uh, you're in a sort of a steampunk-ish or like industrial fantasy uh, city at, that is full of gangs, uh, all vying for control of different parts of the city. And not just criminal gangs, but like different types of factions and organizations all kind of fighting with each other constantly. Uh, it's also a world that is completely Full of ghosts. So a lot of the supernatural stuff in this has to do with the idea that like, this is a world where the dead stick around. Ghosts are incredibly commonplace, but they're also incredibly unsettling and they can drive people insane. There is a kind of ghost squad uh, in this world that comes in, you know, when, when someone dies in this world, uh, a spectral crow circles above where they died and a, a bell yes. is heard across the entire city. Uh, and the, uh, I forget what they're called now, the de- death wardens, the death wardens come to take away the body and hopefully also take away the ghost. Um, uh, and you're playing, the characters uh, in this game are playing as a criminal gang of some kind. And uh, you, you can dis- decide what type of criminal gang you are. Are you, you know, smugglers or are you um, uh, going to be assassins or, or you know, drug runners or whatever you are? And there's different types of characters all in the sort of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, scoundrel archetypes. And um, what I really like about it as a system, as a role-playing game system, is it's designed around um, uh, pulling off scores, heists or other kind of like criminal, uh, you know, acts. And um, all of the planning for it, structurally, it's designed where the planning for those heists, for example, takes place in flashback. So a lot of the game is about, you know, you go into a heist with a general idea of what you want to accomplish there, but um, at any time, players' characters can call for flashbacks that say, for example, mm, a week ago, 
I snuck in here and placed a cache of weapons so that we would have it now when we need it. And there's a system in the game for kind of determining how successful those things were and kind of like retconning in stuff that says, yes, well, actually we planned ahead for this because we're very smart thieves or whatever. Um, So it's got a pretty clever and interesting system that is a little bit more um it's a it's a little more sort of freeform narrative focused than something like D, but still has some like rules crunch to it that i think is interesting uh and i really like the the world and just the whole idea of like for me my favorite thing in things like dungeons and dragons is like pulling off heists i always think that's a really attractive way to structure a campaign so i'm really excited to play something that's kind of all about that um, so Blades in the Dark, it is in the itch.io bundle. Uh, it's also available to download on itch. Um, and a couple quick things about it. If you download it there, you get a really nice PDF of the rules, which is really well laid out and includes nice stuff like table of contents and also uh, a document that has just a ton of good like single page reference stuff. So you have these little like simple rule overviews that you can print out. There's these little sort of one page cards that describe different areas of the, of the city. Lots of really useful reference stuff that comes with it too. So um, I would 100% recommend checking this out if you're interested in an alternative to Dungeons and Dragons that kind of goes in a different direction. That sounds awesome. I cannot wait to play it. Yeah, I'm really hoping to run uh, this for our group soon. And if I do, I'll try to report back on how it goes. Um, So... uh, Listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. I know this is a bit of a short one. It's just the two of us, so these tends to go a little bit faster. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, uh, hopefully a guest, and we'll be talking about a game that I've been eagerly anticipating. We're going to be talking about Mr. Driller Drill Land, which just came out on Nintendo Switch. I can't tell you how excited I am uh, that Mr. Driller Drill Land is out. It's out in the U.S. with an English translation for the first time ever. This is a game that the 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 you know the final big game in the Mr. Driller series, which I've always loved. So we're going to be talking about that next week, and I'm excited to talk about it. And uh, so join us back next week for that. And uh, you know, if you haven't, uh, if you want to get, and if you want to talk to us about this game or about Mr. Driller or about anything else, uh, you can get onto our Discord. Our uh, supporters on Patreon all get immediate access to our Discord. So you can go to patreon.com slash the short game. And if you support us with even a dollar a month, then you get instant access to our Discord where we chat about the games that we're playing and we talk about things that we're preparing to play and we just have other conversations we've had a a lively conversation about uh the last of us is it good uh in our discord uh because of course we have because that's been the the discourse lately so join us there Uh, i'll call out a few of our listeners and supporters real quick just to say thank you uh thank you very much to listeners and supporters chuck w colin peacock Corey menke David Giza, we appreciate all of you very much. Thank you so much uh, to all of our supporters on uh, on Patreon and to all of our listeners out there who aren't our Patreon supporters yet. Uh, if you want to find us on the internet, you can also go to www.theshortgame.net uh, and there's a contact form there, which is a great way to get word to us about games that you think would be good for the show. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at underscore short game and you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. I may not be writing that much, but I am reading. You can still talk to me there. Yes. Uh, And listeners, thank you once again for joining us on The Short Game.